Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, honoring Valentine's Day this past week, we'll be talking about love in D&D. Can you roleplay romance in D&D successfully? Are magic charms and potions of love acceptable at the game table anymore? All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, I will remind everyone, as always, that at the end of the show, we will be hosting our after-party chat. That is a live video chat with Dan and I on our Discord server which is available to all our patrons. Uh, you can join in by becoming a patron. Uh, visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. Join in any tier. You'll get an invite to our Discord server. And a few minutes after the end of the show today, around 2 p.m. or 2.10, shall I say, Eastern, uh, we'll be on there to chat with you. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. Paul, of course, we have more love that will fit in one hour, so we need we, <laughs> we need that extra time today. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, as they say, love is infinite, but time is limited. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, that's a good point. <laughs> so, Dan, um, this I, I was excited to see. There's a little, there's a little anticipate, antipita. Ooh, that's a word. There was a little anticipation of this topic um, at, on our Discord server. There was some questions about uh, whether we were going to be covering what kinds of love, right? Are we talking platonic love, romantic love, and uh, are we gonna are we gonna talk about sex? We can talk about sex in D&D, Dan, or is that for next month? We're finally going to talk about sex in D&D, Paul. <laughs> finally. <laughs> oh, sorry, our time's up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, folks, maybe next month. Next month. <laughs> uh, sorry. What does that remind We're... me of? That feel like I'm having deja vu, Paul. What is this reminding me of? Right. <laughs> Right. Back in the, the Dragon Magazine back in the day, Phil Foglio had his Phil and uh, D&D with Phil and Di What's new with Phil and Dixie? Uh, and every month, every month in Dragon Magazine, they had the recurring the recurring gag that we're going to do sex in D&D this month. And then something would 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 interrupt them. Um, I actually had this issue right here that was in uh, February. So like, oh, no, not sex. We're, we're not talking about sex, Paul. We're talking about romance, love in D&D. That seems appropriate. <laughs> Excellent. Right, that's Excellent. what it was. Yeah, um, it's you know it's it's interesting. Um, you know, we can there's there's been publications, right? There's been books. Uh, there's been I, I'm trying to remember the 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 was it a third edition? There was a third edition book, I think, that was that kind of bordered into into something more uh, uh, specific here, right? But. But I went, I went back to the original source. I was curious and I was digging through and I was looking for like, well, where is love even mentioned in the rules? If I just search the core rules, can I find the word love? And um, interesting, the one, the one thing that mechanically absolutely jumps out is in the magic items, of course, there is a filter of love. So I thought we would start there, if that's all right. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and dis discuss the magic item filter of love. So I have here the text from the OD&D description of the filter of love. Uh, I'll just read it out for you. The potion 
is such as to cause the individual drinking it to become charmed, CF charm spells, with the first creature seen after consuming the draft, or actually become enamored and charmed, if the creature is of similar race and the opposite sex. Charming effects wear off in four plus one to four turns, but the enamoring effects last until a dispel magic spell is cast on the individual. Um, very interesting there, I think, about this concept of like separating charm from being enamored, which is an interesting word to use that is not defined anywhere and up to the referee essentially to figure out. Not, not unusual for OD&D to just toss some, some words out there and just be like, good luck, referee, figure out what this means. Am I crazy? Does this does this show up in advanced D D the first time? Mm. I think in first edition. Yeah, right? you're you're absolutely right. I'm sorry, you're right. This right. is not O D and D. You're 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 right. right. Uh, I got that wrong. This is this is from the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. You're right. There is no filter of love in O D and D. And of course, you know this. Uh, you know, obviously, either either way, uh, uh, zeroth edition or first edition. You know, we're kind of playing fast and loose, and the DM has to fill in a whole bunch of stuff that won't be defined. So obviously, this refers to the totally classic, you know, mythology of a potion of love. Now, one question I might have is, why is it called a potion of love? They actually made up this new. You know, it's in the index of potions. But there's this different name for it. They called it a filter. And I believe, my guess is because it's not something that's, it's not something that's good for the drinker, right? Most potions mm. are beneficial to the drinker. And this is like a new, you know, again, in, in coordination with the, you know, the legends, this is something that's actually not great for the drinker because it causes them to have a crush on, on the next person they see. So here's a new name to indicate that, these filters I'm, that they have. You know, okay, you know. okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refute, I'm gonna refute your logic there, Dan, in two, yep, in two yep. ways. One, there is a second filter in the list. There's a filter of persuasiveness. So it's not the only filter. Okay, in the book, all right, okay, yep. But there is right. certainly a potion of poison, which is quite bad for the drinker. Okay. Yep. Great. Good. Great. I, I accept your argument. I accept your argument. That's that's good logic there. Yep. Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately, all that does is cast more confusion on why they why is it a filter of love instead of a potion of love? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. And it's interesting to me that like basically basically it's a charm person in a bottle, right? Which okay, I can get behind that. They've got they've got a ring of human control. Why not put it in a potion as well? Yep. Um, but, I mean, that's uh, a separate potion. There's a separate potion called Human Control, of course, that was in OD&D. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course right? there is. But limited, yep. right? Limited to the standard, you know, D6 turns or whatever it is there. Right? It looked, to my eye, it looks like this item, the enamoring, again, is permanent until you get that Dispel Magic. Does the... Hang on. Now, now, I'm, now I'm flipping through my pages of my DMG. Does, does the potion of Human Control show up in here? Pretty sure. Pretty sure everything in there is still yeah, there. Yeah, there it is. Right. Yeah. Allows the right. So the interesting thing, right, is that that flips the flips the target. Right. It says the it allows the imbiber to control up to thirty two levels or hit dice of humans, humanoids, or demi humans, as if a charm person spell had been cast. Right. So in that case, it's empowering the drinker to charm. Yes. Others. Yeah. It's, I guess it's unclear as to like how do how do the others get targeted? Is there a range? Like how does this work? I guess maybe I would look up the charm person spell since it says as a charm person. It's not going to help you, Paul. <laughs> no, it's not. It's uh, even, there's even person. less text. <laughs> well, at least Charm Person's probably got a range, right? 
that's true. That's true, but only affects one yeah. person. Um, right, right. So that's yeah. that's confusing. That's confusing. Yep. Um, yeah. I'll point out so, that Josh has helpfully put in the chat, and, and this is a great point. So Josh is pointing out that on the question of where does the filter come from, filter specifically means a love potion per the dictionary. That's a great point. Thanks for pointing mm -hmm. that out. Great. That's great. why that got used. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. Okay. No, here's 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 the the other thing I wanted to call out about the, the, yes. the filter of love is another right. thing that I found surprising. I was expecting to find it only in D. So apologies for that uh, misquote. There shows up in first edition AD and D. It continues to exist all the way until fifth edition. Uh, so here it is. Here's the entry from D and D Beyond. Uh, who? Um, oh dear. I've made it so tiny on my screen that I can't read it at all. Uh, <laughs> I, can see it. I can see it. So it says, the next time you see a creature within 10 minutes after drinking this filter, you become charmed by that creature for one hour. If the creature is of a species and gender that you are normally attracted to, you regard it as your true love while you are charmed. This, potion's, uh, this potion is rose-hued, effervescent liquid, and it contains one easy-to-miss bubble shaped like a heart. So I like I like that they've kind of cleaned up a little bit. They've tried to to clean up some of the kind of implicit weird racism or 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 heteronormativity of the original right. description here right. by just saying like if it's someone you would normally um, normally be attracted, be attracted to. to yeah. uh, so so good for them in cleaning up that language. Um, but interesting now that they've switched it, they've gotten rid of enamored, and now you regard them as your true love. Still completely unclear as to precisely <laughs> what that means and how to adjudicate that. Good luck, GM. But it's still there, right? Um, it, I think they got rid of the, the different duration, right? So now yes. I'm, I'm assuming that the duration is the duration. Yes. Right? And then this fascinating little bit about like what it looks like, including a single bubble shaped like a heart, which is <laughs> hilarious. Is And I'm wondering, like, am are, are my players now going to be like gazing into potions to see if they can detect if there's a heart bubble in there or not? There's an odd. I, you know, I, I don't mind that. I actually, I don't mind that. I, I think fifth edition was, you know, gave specific, like, here's what this potion looks like. And as you become a more expert player, you can recognize it on site, which I don't mind. I really don't mind that actually. Yep. Um, I might not have put that exact detail in there, but you know, I am who I am. Um, so for me, the, you know, again, they've made, um, so, so, you know, we can't get around the fact that the, uh, the initial writers of the earliest D and D were, you know, had gender concepts of binary and mm -hmm. it's, it's baked all the way through the rules like that. And so of course that kind of stands out to us now. Um, so good on the editors to kind of make that more flexible here. To me, the thing that I would criticize is again, the, you know, the initial filter was, again, referencing, you know, recreating the standard mythology of a filter of love if you are hopelessly in love with somebody forever. That's what it would work like. And here, for game purposes, they've, you know, in the current sensibilities, they've massively restricted this charm to just one hour. And I understand that, you know, it's a limited game effect. You don't have infinite capacity over the controlee, but, um, it doesn't remotely resemble the mythology of a love potion at this point to me. So yeah, I guess they've, they've, they've nerfed it, you know, as we would say, mm -hmm. 
for the mm -hmm. game, but now it doesn't resemble the mythology. And for me, that's a, that's a loss. The, the interesting thing, what's interesting to me is that it exists at all, right? Because there's certainly like overtones of date rape here, right? Like we can't get away from that, right? Like this is, is isn't this essentially roofies, D&D roofies? Is that what we're looking at here, right? And how, how do you expect this to actually show up in your game? It's a little odd. And, and, and yes, like good for them for like, just, just tie it into the charm spell because now, now we can just talk about the charm spell and we have, I'm not going to go down that road, right? We have a whole episode on whether, yeah. you know, on the ins and outs of charm person and whether it's good or bad or what the problems are with it. Um, so definitely, you know, if you want to hear us talk about that, go look that one up. I think that was just last season. Is that right, Dan? I think so. That feels about right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm surprised that the editors ha didn't just decide, you know what, this is just too problematic and just approve it. Some of our viewers are already, so, you know, we're already trying to predict in the chat here about like, I'd be very surprised if it makes the cut to the next edition, whatever we're going to yeah. call it. Um, and uh, we were, you know, you and I, Paul, were both surprised to find, discover that it's still in fifth edition. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that, actually. It, it, it seems a little vestigial to me. To me, the whole point of it has kind of sort of gone away. Um, and you know, it's, it seems like they've, they've narrowed it from forever to one hour and the next step is probably zero. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I would be, I would expect that to happen. Also, I, I mean, okay. And this is just my bias from, from where I come from, uh, the, the age that I grew up in, but like this, this note about it being, um, you know, it's good for them for having change the language a little bit, right? To still say that like, okay, well, if it's a species and gender you're normally attracted to, you regard it as your true love. But my memory as a child of seeing something akin to a love potion in Saturday morning cartoons is that hilarity ensues when the imbiber accidentally views a frog or a dog or a tree or something ridiculous and falls in love with some object or some creature that is totally preposterous. So why are they taking that humor away from me, Dan? <laughs> why can't I? Why can't I have my characters fall in love with a sword? Someone they right? don't like, normally find attractive. Yeah, right. Yeah, isn't that right. isn't that the humor here? <laughs> no, I don't know. I get that. I you know I get that, and I will say that um, you know among the limited number of examples where you know we've had you know good examples of romance elements, including this in games that I played. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was playing um, Dungeon Crawl Classics by Goodman Games, and there's a potion of love, right? And I, th I think this might've been in Stonehell, frankly, um, by Mike Curtis, and um, our party got the, got the potion of love. It works in a kind of a traditional way there. And we were like, what are we, what are we gonna use this for? Not not entirely sure what we're what it, we're gonna hang on to this and when will when will this be important? And one of our players, you know, hung on to it and uh, advancing through that dungeon. At some point, we you know walk through a door and there's a large cavern. We're confronted by a dragon, and uh, we're like, oh oh no! And so <laughs> that that player went, hey, here's my opportunity, and uh, ran, <laughs> ran, up, ran up onto its head. Uh, made a roll, successfully poured the potion of love down the dragon's gullet, uh, failed its save, and the dragon fell in love with that player permanently. Right. That's and I don't know. away That's... with the party. 
right? And I was, I was, I couldn't tell, I cannot tell you how wired I was in that game because I forgot about the item. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't part of the decision process. She just was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm force feeding this potion of this dragon. And I'm like, that is fantastic. That is top level play. I thank yeah, you so yeah. much. And yeah, our party had a dragon on our side at this point. So I am Dan is 100% for having a potion of love in your game because it worked out really well for us, really well. <laughs> and then we were like, how does that work? I don't know. I don't care, but I freaking love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is fantastic. Yeah, that is fantastic. Hmm. 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 So yeah, I I agree. Having having that kind of like un literally uncorked capacity again makes for really interesting things. And what to me is kind of a traditional, you know, un uh, un non non buffered D and D game. And uh, you know that was that particular instance was comical. We were laughing. We were happy. Made a big difference to the plot. You know, um, it's, it's interesting too because I wonder, like, if that if that player instead had found a potion of dragon control, right? And like, sweet, I have a potion of dragon control. I'm going to do that, or other or other mechanism. I have a charm person scroll. Yeah, right? is that less satisfying than like, aha, I have a love potion? <laughs> I will argue that it would be less satisfying because, again, something like a potion of dragon control is purely a D and D thing, right? It's it's a particular element in original D and D. There's a sequence of control X stuff, right? It's control human, control plant, control monster, control dragon, control undead, stuff like that, right? And so it's clearly kind of filling in a blank with a particular mechanic that you're copy pasting. Okay. It's a D and D thing. I get it. It's useful. It's nice. But a potion of love, again, it's something that's outside the game, and it's very much entangled into our cultural understanding. And you immediately are bringing this 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 tanker load of you know of important deep content into the game. And how do you? And it's it's not being reskinned. It's something very specific, and then we all have to imagine what's it like for a dragon to be in love with a person. And that seems like that generates a lot more interesting content than just a D&D mechanic. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, would, I would say kind of similarly the same thing for, uh, for example, uh, about like if they had a charm monster scroll, right? Like still we're like, congratulations, you remember you had this magic item and you used it in a good, good way and that's helpful. but. The potion of love, I think, is more exciting play because one, it's it's adapting a found item, found magic in a way that's unexpected, and I think that's always interesting, right? Anytime players come up with like, "Aha, I'm going to use this thing," right? And, and and granted, I think we talked about this about how that's kind of seeped into the rules in some places in a dissatisfying way, like casting light on someone's eyes to blind them, right? Like once it gets mechanized, somehow it's it's less mm -hmm. exciting. But it's very exciting when you see a player thinking, you know, kind of doing so little lateral thinking like that in the game and going like, well, I have this potion of love. Let me, let me do this. So, so that is excellent. But the other thing I think that makes it interesting, especially if it's more vague, right? Let me, let me, let me dig specifically into that. Like, I'm almost disappointed that the filter of love specifically calls out that it behaves like a charm spell. And and maybe that's just because I now have context or I have this thought of like what charm spells are like, right? It's like you're being ensorcelled, you're you're kind of like losing your control over your own body and you're just becoming like a, a mindless zombie or puppet that can be controlled by the caster. Whereas a potion of love, I like to think of 
as being like, no, no, no. It's as if this person or creature or target is wildly in love with you. And I just want to go back <laughs> because I found this amusing when I was when I was writing the description of this video in YouTube. I looked up on Wikipedia. I was like, well, let's see what Wikipedia has to say about love. And the, this opening sentence here is love is considered to be both positive and negative with its virtue representing human kindness, compassion and affection, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it may be also described compassion and affection and actions towards humans or others in its various forms. Um, it doesn't go, it doesn't give us, it doesn't, it doesn't dig into it. Oh, that's really annoying. Um, <laughs> sorry, there you go. And it's vice representing a human moral flaw akin to vanity, selfishness, mm. a more prop and egotism, potentially leading people into a type of mania, obsessiveness, or codependency. So like as a DM, if I had a player who feeds a dragon, a love potion, I would then be looking for ways to make that inconvenient. Right? I would be looking for ways to make that love unfortunate <laughs> for the player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, and you should. That's correct. That's correct. You, <laughs> right? you ought to be like, right? you know, one scenario where you're like, everything's really great, and then stuff starts to get a little a little more weird and uncomfortable after that. Yeah. Right? I agree. Right? Right? Um, I mean, frankly, I'm, I'm immediately thinking, like, probably I want the dragon's mate to show up. Another dragon shows up. And oh. You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, how, how about how about a a, a, um, a competitive suitor, Paul? A competitive yeah, suitor, exactly. right? Right. right. <laughs> I mean, this and this, here it is. This is uh, this is it, Dan. It's just you and I just riffing off of this crazy. Yes, yeah, right. Like, what does See, I agree with that. Right. <laughs> right. It immediately it just kind of writes itself. This is the easy yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yes. I agree. So right. I almost as much as I pick on. The descriptions from first edition of just using this weird enamored, and the and the fifth edition for just using this weird like true love, you know, words. I like the vagueness. I want it to be more vague. Yeah, <laughs> I want the vagueness want is where room. the magic is. Yeah, I yeah, agree. right, right. I, I, I really that. enjoy that. So, yeah, I will say, you know, I guess maybe a thesis that I'll develop here is, you know, I was um, at a festival last year um and there were some uh, hor horror directors speaking and one of the um, one of the directors said uh you know comedy and horror are very closely related they're very <laughs> tightly linked and and the need for good timing right in both um is there, comedy is closest to horror is is what they said in their experience um and you know recently for what's worth in our household we, we recently started re-watching uh, the rick and morty cartoon and you know it's it's funny because i haven't seen that in like 10 years and i don't remember any of the plot points so i'm just as like shocked and surprised uh watching it a second time i was as i was to begin with and it was early in the first season when they had a, a episode that entirely revolved around a love potion right called i think rick potion number nine and uh so you know what classic love potion and yep. uh there were complications and there were there were there were kind of major complications and i'm sorry folks if i spoil this for you it wound up destroying the world <laughs> <laughs> that's the one right so it's a good it's a it's a really it's it's kind of an it's a kind of an obvious classic traditional you know plot point and i i wouldn't want to lose it i don't i think i wouldn't want to lose it from my open-ended role-playing game i mean telling of course that that uh rick and morty is created by dan Harmon, who of course is avid D, D player 
has created a lot of yes, a lot of yes, content of based on. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah, I will. You know what? I, I'll pr I'll praise him. And obviously, um, we had uh, Crittenden on in a prior episode uh, to talk mm -hmm. about working you know, a little bit, working with Dan Harmon on some stuff. Uh, um, current show, Crepopolis, right? Uh, I think there are about ten episodes in. L love it, love it to death uh, by Dan Harmon. You know, totally classic mythology. It's totally D and D in cartoon form, basically. I hope they make more episodes soon. We've been we've been enjoying that quite a bit too. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Dan, filter of love, besides showing up in magic item tables, are you aware of any other use cases of it? Any uh, places where it shows up in D&D content? Mm, that, I'm, that you stumped me on, Paul. That I okay. don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, because I, this is, I'm kind of trying to segue here a little bit into the idea of like the other, the other major case in D&D where I see love coming up is in is as plot point right as as plot in modules yeah. right mm -hmm. characters sometimes npcs are in love with each other usually in a bad way usually in a in a you know in that that negative aspect that that wikipedia talks about to to create unpleasantness for the players um the the one the one case that i'm aware of and there's not specifically not necessarily a filter of love uh, available uh but is is the adventure the sword of justice do you remember this one dan Vaguely, I think I read it once. Yeah, uh, I, I I ran it for you once. If you you probably oh. don't remember this, oh, but yeah, it, when we first started playing in a D and D campaign together, and we were playing a game where we had rotating GMs, my first adventure was this one. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And now the major plot of this is, and I, I like this adventure because it it plays with some some weird. It puts it puts the players into some uncomfortable situations. Uh, specifically, in this case, you have players are hired to go hunt down a fugitive elf uh, who was about to be uh, tried for some crime and uh, the way they were going to adjudicate the crime was they were going to get out their intelligent sword, which glows blue when someone lies in front of it. But it turns out that the sword also glows blue when it's near an elf. And so that's <laughs> both lies and elves. And the elf in question who was on trial knew this and the, the rest of the townsfolk did not and so that elf stole the sword and ran away and so the whole plot is like chase down this fugitive uh now interestingly already at the very beginning of the game according to the plot already the person in charge who's hiring the players has already discovered that the elf is in fact not guilty so so that that they don't know about the sword they don't know why yeah. the elf does yeah. crazy stuff but they just know you know not actually guilty. So why why did all this happen? We don't know. Can you please go? And so in that case, I think that kind of gives you the excuse for like, please bring him back alive because we think he's innocent, and we just want to know what's going on, and we want our sword back, right? Like it's basically the plot of the of the adventure. So it's a kind of delightful adventure there, um, and and introduces this whole concept of like an elf detective sword, which is weird. Um, and I think honestly, if you recall that whole campaign. We actually had an entire like undercurrent of there being some tension between the human community and the elven community, which originated from this very adventure. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that was that was a, yes. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, so what does all this have to do with the love potion? Well, interestingly, there's a tiny note hidden in the text uh, of the background of this adventure that says um, that when the person hiring the group uh, went to like further investigate after the elf ran away, said he discovered, uh, and I'll just read a little chunk to you here, the culprit was found to be the brawny local watch captain 
who confessed to the crime when he confront when he was confronted with Clayton's suspicions. Clayton being the NPC looking at. Apparently, Yorl, that's the actual murderer, the actual because there's a murder under this, right? Mm-hmm. So the actual culprit had cheated the captain by purposely making him a faulty love potion with which the captain had hoped to attract the affections of a local beauty. Oh. The woman oh. was repelled by the captain and the magician who had his eye on the young, who also had his eye on the young girl and not the captain who became the target of her admiration. The watchman stormed over in a fit of rage and in the ensuing brawl killed the contra. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna get, that's a little choppy there because I've noticed my text is a little broken. Some, something got mangled in my transcription of that. That's it. No nice. more this is revealed in the adventure. It doesn't come up. This okay. is just given to you as like, here's a little background in for you, info for you, GM. Have fun. <laughs> Which I think is delightful. <laughs> that almost, fe- I mean, that almost, fe- that's so specific. It fe- and that's, such a, that's such a weird twist. It feels like that's something that actually came out of someone's campaign play that then right. developed into this adventure possibly, right? That's like, that's, there's a lot. I got to unpack that because there was a lot of stuff right. there, right? Right, there's a lot going on, right? <laughs> the actual murderer, uh, you know, was, was this other magician who was hired by the watch captain to make a love potion who intentionally made a bad love potion, a faulty love potion, because he was, because the magician was the one who was also in love with the same person, right? It's such a crazy love triangle going <laughs> right. on here. Right, yeah. And, right. and none of this comes up again. None of it, right? <laughs> this is just background info for you, the GM, to do with as you will. And then, and then, okay, the rest of the adventure is like, here's where the elf is hiding and how to find him and, you know, all the monsters and its traps and et cetera you're going to have to face to go find the elf. But, like, what happens when you bring the elf back to town? Completely uncovered. Just figure it out. Good luck. Role play. <laughs> which, which is, frankly, my favorite part about this adventure and why I like it so much. So it's so bizarre and leaves so many doors open for weird role play to happen. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I like that there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a gods must be crazy element with the with the two function <laughs> sword of like you can imagine the court case and the and the elf saying, wait, that that elf that sword also glows blue in the in the in the presence of elves and it glows and then and then everybody goes, wait, he's no, he's lying. That's not true. Look, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Clearly you need the players in there to like be the voice of reason and to propose right. some obvious things. Like, well, let's just have this elf say some blatantly true things, right? The sky oh, yeah, is it's like a, it's right? like a Smolian logic puzzle, right? Right. Right. It's like are they are they are they uh, uh truth tellers or liars or elves? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then as, as came up in our campaign, like the question becomes, why? Why do you need a sword that detects elves? Right? And then, and then, that, I think, okay, that sounds like a player who asked for a magic item to be crafted and didn't think through when they tacked on a bunch <laughs> of extra features. I, th- I feel like yeah. that could easily, I think I've seen that happen. <laughs> I, could, I mean, I could also see it coming from a table, right? Like, roll number one, it detects. Okay, roll number two, what does it detect? Elves. And lies? <laughs> cool. <laughs> and then you have to decide whether that's connected with an or or an and. Or a zor yeah. or a nan. I don't know. Whatever you want. Right, right. It detects liars uh, but- and elves, but not lying elves. How about that? There's your son. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... 
It's a lying old castle. It's a sword. It's a sword sword. My my sword of the, my sword of detecting lies. Zor elves. Uh, so again i don't know if you remember this but i think what we invented in our campaign was this idea that back in ancient history there had been a war between men and elves and that um you know the sword was intentionally used during that campaign during that war you know by the human armies to root out hiding elves because elves have this pesky ability to like hide and stuff as it turns out right or be invisible or whatnot you know, sometimes, some occasionally, something we struggle with is like in a lot of you know mythology and uh, pulp fiction stuff like that. Elves tend to be you know chaotic and you know on the evil side more or less. Um, and then when you know uh, Tokine came in, and obviously the your your party was allied dwarves and elves and hobbits and humans. Uh, you know, D and D stepped in the fray, and in the original draft, you know, you had humans and dwarves and elves, and obviously, when they get folded into the player character side, they're no longer, you know, ultimately sinister. Um, but if the, if that hadn't been the case, I could totally see a standard of like elves are usually lying, so might as well, they're, they're, that's what they usually do. So it's sort of the same thing, really. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is kind of got that kind of fey, fairy feel to it, right? Like, you can never trust what an elf says, because they always speak in doublespeak. <laughs> let me, let me, tw let me, let me <laughs> shift a little bit from, uh, I'm so glad we were, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the filter of love today myself. So, so other things, and just maybe touching a little bit when we had our mm -hmm. conversation about charms in the past, is that, you know, there are a number of monster types in, um, in, in original D&D that have an ability that, you know, it's, it's labeled charm, just like the filter of love was, that, you know, clearly is conjuring mythology around, you know, monstrous creatures um, uh, seducing or taking advantage of uh, humans. And again, you know, elves are frequently in mythology and legend, you know, snatching, you know, humans and running off with them and they're never seen again and things like that. And so, in at least in original DD, you can point to at least three. You've got vampires with a powerful yeah. charm ability. And remember, initially, uh, even charm person in original DD had had a permanent duration, had no end to it, unless you I mean, got unless you used to dispel magic. Can we can so we dig vampires, into vampires for a moment? Or, sure, or do, you, do you want to keep going? Okay. Because that's well, another okay, let me just mention the three. Let me just mention the three yeah. and then we can yeah. dig yeah. in it. So, so vamp in original DD, you've got three. You've got vampires. And you have uh, Nixies that can cast a charm that lasts for one year, right? And it specifically mm -hmm. says the, 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 the victim will go with the Nixie into their underwater lair and disappear for one year. And then you've got Dryads that can cast a charm on someone that they're attracted to, and they never return, ever. They're just gone. Mm. Do we have, I mean, this is interesting because I was trying to mentally just quickly predict which three you were going to list. Uh, are sirens? Are sirens in D and D? Well, okay. Uh, sirens, you know, get wrapped into the harpy monster. Uh, so the the yeah. description of harpies is kind of harpies and sirens merged together. Interestingly, I think that was one of the very first pieces of addendum. I think that Dave Arneson kind of wanted to add that, and it was included in the first supplement, Greyhawk. And you're right; uh, they have this charming capacity. And again, they they specifically what is what is the text there? Uh, harpies lure men to them, then enchant them with powerful charms in order to kill and devour them. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, I, uh, I mean, harpies, right? We, we we didn't talk about harpies. Harpies are there, right? They they sing a song that causes a charm effect, right? In yeah, in that first supplement, yep, yep, yep. And and as far as I know, that still exists also to this day in fifth edition. There's still yeah, uh, harpies have have a luring song. Anyway, um. Oh, I want to talk about vampires. So the reason I wanted to talk about vampires is I was trying to uh, briefly dig through some old modules, and I was like, "What? Where else? Where else does love show up in in early D anD D?" And the most obvious module where it shows up, frankly, is Ravenloft. Right? If you if you're just if you just open open your PDFs and search for the word love, often doesn't show up. But Ravenloft, there's a whole love triangle plotline going on there, which is not surprising given sort of the, the effect. Hickman had on kind of the evolution of D and D content. Right, right. So interesting that the 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 advent the classic D and D adventure that you can point to that has love most you know firmly tied into the plot is our super famous gothic horror adventure of Ravenloft. Yeah. That's where you're going to find a whole lot of love is in the gothic horror dig. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And and again, it's just playing into the mythology, the classic, like, you know, Dracula mythology of, of, yeah, there's, you know, yeah, uses, uses his uh, magical gaze to charm victims. In in this case, though, is actually like deeply in love with the victim. Right. And then there's, Mm -hmm. I think, if I remember, it's been a while since I read Ravenloft, but if I remember that there's a, there's an NPC who's, I don't know, is it married to, or just in love with the, the victim. So there's a whole little, little, Love triangle subplot going on in there. I, you know, again, oh, right, vampire. Right. Wait, wait, wait. The... I'm remembering it now. There's, there's a specific encounter. There's a specific encounter where, um, I think that the that uh, Strahd will attempt to make the party attack the woman so that he can swoop in and rescue her. Oh, geez. Make her fall in love with him. Oh, geez. So, yeah, yeah, that exists. Oh, I, 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 I not right. having played that, I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> wow, wow, that's okay. Well, kudos to Hickman on that one. <laughs> it's an interesting, yeah. interesting aspect. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's nasty. Now, of course, you know, vampires are the first thing that come, the first monster in original D and D that come in with this charm capacity. Um, they're arguably the most powerful, most, you know, threatening monster in all of the original monster list. Um, uh, arguably clerics were invented specifically just to counter vampires because they're so terrifying. So, you know, the one, the one monster that is, you know, classically seen as attractive and seductive is possibly the worst one in the game. Mm. Mm-hmm. That tracks. Let me mention one other thing. So yep. recently, some of us have had the 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 opportunity to take a look at the um, the the many hundreds of pages court, 1979 court filing between uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax when they were trying to work out um, the the rights and royalties to the original D and D game. Uh, fascinating, fascinating read. It has. Uh, quite a bit of content there included uh, in the in the court filing from original D and D, including handwritten draft documents and pages about things to add. And the very first page, the very first page 
of D&D rule content in that 900-page court filing from Dave Arneson relates to this discussion because it's one of the next monsters that has a powerful seductive charm ability. Really? Which, which monster is yeah. that? Can you guess? What monster that is well-known in D&D for a powerful seductive charm ability that's detrimental to the target got added after original D&D? Um, I have no idea. One of our, no I bet idea. one of our viewers is going to say it about when it comes in here. Give me another. I give you another five seconds if it comes through in the chat right now. And I'll tell her <laughs> someone's someone's typing the ten the ten letters probably that it takes right about now. So it so it is the um it's it's the it's the succubus demon. Right. So mm. the, the very the very first page in this court filing, I thought it was really interesting because I just saw it as we were preparing for this show here. And the very first page that is that of content that's in this in this uh, this D&D court filing is, oh, we need to add the, the succubus demon and also the type five demon, which is another another female demon to the game. And then we'll add other demons. and We'll add other stuff. And then here's the actual initial draft content. But um, this this one page in uh, I believe Arneson's handwriting it says we got to add a succubus we got to add a type five Marilith type demon with a bunch of here's their height here's their weight here's what they look like and 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 lo and behold Arneson describes both of them as quote unquote beautiful <laughs> they're both beautiful female seductive demons and uh, I think that you can point I think we know we can point to a lot of that kind of content it's a little cringy. You know, it's 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 a little cringy at this point, but that was you know it again. It is a classic you know monster from mythology. Um, later in advanced D&D, they also added satyrs, um, which are you know the opposite end of that. But he that was that was apparently sufficiently important that that was the first thing that um, that <coughs> Mr. Anderson wanted the court to see is that he was responsible for adding the succubus to the game, and then everything else about D&D came after that. Fascinating. Huh. Huh. And as we I know, like, like, you know, the succubus again has a powerful charm. And in addition, if they kiss you, you lose a level. Those of you like these these monsters, these these monsters have charm effects, right? They've always been a little problematic for me. Not not because of whatever the underlying uh, you know, in uh, general problem with charm by and wide but that like the um i feel like the fiction that these things come from usually the the target of these effects is a person on their own right the vampire sneaks into someone's bedroom uses his gaze to make them fall in love with him right some etc 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 uh in practice though almost what almost always happens is the party is on an adventure they're down in the dungeon or whatever they encounter one of these creatures it charms one victim mm -hmm. And then the rest of the party goes, oh, no, dogpile that person or figure out how to undo that, right? So it, like, it, it loses some of the mystique, I think. And I can only think of one campaign. I had one campaign where I actually very successfully had the party had gone out. I'm trying to remember exactly the context. I think it was one of those ridiculous things where I had a lead that, oh, there might be vampires out there. And, and the, my, my party, bless them, decided to go get drunk and then hunt vampires in the middle of the night. 
I don't, I don't know why that was the order That's... of operation. They said, let's go to the, <laughs> let's go to the tavern. Let's get drunk. And in the course of getting drunk, they decided we should deal with this vampire thing. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go right now in the middle of the night. That's a great idea. Right. You know, let, let me just say, let me just say this. See, a, more horror movies should use this, right? See, horror, like a horror movie, has to always come up with some, you know, overly complicated. Why do we get in this situation? Like, here's a re our cell phones don't work, and we're in this place, and the law doesn't work, and there's a disease, and something. And we're confused, and someone mistold us, right? What What would actually really happen? We just got blackout drunk we just, we just got blackout drunk because we thought that would be fun and then we decided to go hunt vampires that's a perfectly legitimate perhaps more believable beginning to your horror story i agree i totally I agree. believe that i agree this is actually absolutely delightful um, i mean i may be mixing up campaigns here but uh forgive me if i'm doing that but regardless the point is the party went out unprepared fought, fought a vampire tried to fight a vampire was not ready for that experience had to run away, escaped. Later, I had the vampire visit one of them in his room and use the charm and then just say, and then just basically try to use that person as 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 a mole. Like, you're my you're my in into the party now, and you love me, and you're my mole, and I'm gonna try and leverage that to my own ends. And that was delightful. Let me just say that ha being able to do that, right? And I don't I don't know. I don't know if, other, if this just seems obvious to folks, but do this if you can. If you have an evil vampire in your campaign, have them sneak into the room, charm one of the players, and then leave. Because it's wonderful. And it became just a recurring element in the game that there was essentially a traitor in the party who was deeply in love with this vampire. And when it came up, it was bad for them. <laughs> That's that's quality content. I gotta okay. I gotta give a shout out to Ash who made the excellent point here a second ago in the chat. It says maybe they thought that a high blood alcohol content would be toxic to vampires, <laughs> right? And I mean, maybe it is. See, I think that's that that's going on my rumors table right now. I'm not promising whether that works or not, but it's going on my rumors table, and that's a yep. great motivation to get completely debilitatingly drunk before you hunt vampires that's quite like, likely like, to happen at some point i like the idea like like are they are they drinking like garlic infused gin or something yes 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 <laughs> this right <laughs> yeah oh god it's now. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing. That's great. Now, let me, okay, let me adjust, let me adjust, the, the problem, the legitimate, the completely legitimate problem that you're pointing out with one of these charming, enchanting, seductive monsters in a dungeon, right? A thing that I've seen a couple times, and I, I think that Gary probably, I bet Gary probably used this like three times in, a, in his adventures. I can think like Vault of the Drow, Lost Caverns of Sajkant, I think something else has this, of, um, uh, a, a, a group, right? A, a group layer where you have clearly the enchanting master monster and apparently one or more victims, one or more brides or victims, right? And uh, so, a and similar to what you saw in Ravenloft, so the players might come in, right? Defeat the the lead monster and like, oh, we're we're rescuing the kidnappees, but the kidnappees turn out to be either. Uh, in on the deal or the actual masterminds, and then they have an opportunity to charm and enchant and and join the party and sabotage it 
when they're either similar monsters, like a, their whole butt, their whole harem of vampires, maybe in places. Mm -hmm. um, there's a place in Vault of the Drow where there's an encounter that has both a vampire and a succubus, and they're a, they're a married couple, and they can both use their enchanting powers on the party and play you know play one off the other. Um, so that's one way that you could get an in on the party in the dungeon is that it's a it's a it's a fake out with who the, mm -hmm. the victim and the actual master is possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it. I like it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um I, I don't know. I, I feel like um Yeah, I, I, the place where it becomes problematic to me is just like you know, you're fighting a vampire, you're fighting a a a, a harpy, whatever. Uh maybe not a harpy. What else were we talking about? Uh, a dryad. The dryads or nixies. Although or are you just fighting a powerful spellcaster who happens to have some charm persons on hand, right? And they and they just target one one of the players, and it's just it's like a classic issue, right? In the in the in the tactical part of D and D combat, of oh no, our strongest fighter because usually it's the strongest fighter who happens to have the worst save against charm, right? The strongest fighter just got targeted and flipped to the other side, and we have to stop them. We don't want to kill them. How do we deal with that, right? But it, it, I think it loses the mystique that you have in in the the originating fiction of I'm a vampire and I have charming charming uh, gaze that that's I fair. can, you know. That's fair. So that's fair. Um, I don't know. It's it's a little it's a little awkward. I found in play. That's when fair. Used, when used that way, when used tactically, and let me say like that in combat. Yep, agreed. Now, before we run out of time, I want to make a couple. I want to. I want to at least allude to a couple instances where romantic elements have popped up in my games that weren't a result of forcible enchanting. <laughs> we should probably, we should probably mention <laughs> oh, at least mention yeah, that. Probably, right? Ninety percent yeah. is going to be is going to be this. But I should say mm -hmm. that even you know, I've actually had. I don't do it a lot, but I've actually had good experiences when things kind of naturally you know come out of of the role play. And, um, I, I, you know, and again, I should mention, you know, that there are, it, it is a common trope in pulp fiction, right? Pulp fantasy of Conan always has, I'll say a paramour, maybe someone he's trying to rescue, right? And it's a, probably a different person every single story. That's, that's Conan's bit. Um, Elric's story starts with a beloved, you know, romantic cousin who he, you know, tragically loses in the first adventure. And that kind of colors Elric's story. Fafford and the Grey Mouser also start the same way. One of their first stories, they have romantic partners that they lose, and that kind of colors their story. Now, later on, very D&D, right, they have romantic relations sometimes with non-human creatures, right? Fafford and the Grey Mouser at some point has a romantic relationship with, like, a were-rat woman. And I, if I recall correctly, Fafford falls deeply in love with the, with the transparent skinned ghoul um <laughs> right and is really devoutly yeah. devoutly yeah. committed to that so all that's totally in the fantasy and we we would love to see that in dnd frankly um even when i was you know in high school i had a game where uh one of my players um you know wanted to court an npc they happen to be elves for what it's worth. And so I, you know, drew up a scenario where he had to go to the elf maiden's home where she had very, very wealthy to do parents and have dinner with them. 
right? And I mean, so a normal D&D adventure is one thing, but I said, great. So they invite you in and they have a butler and they sit you down and they're having the first course of soup and you have three forks to your left and you have four spoons to your right and you have three glasses. Which fork do you use? <laughs> and the player just started sweating bullets. It was, it was, it was like, oh no. <laughs> Oh no, which fork do I use? Oh no, and it was it's weird that I remember this all these years later, but it was like one of the most tense moments in any of my D&D games when the player really wanted to look good to his hopefully NPC romantic partner's parents and not knowing how to eat properly. That's funny. Really stood out. And I will say more recently, so in in a in a game I'm running right now, um uh, sorry, in a game that I'm playing in right now, um, we're playing a game of Pirate Borg, and I, um, you know, we, two of us established characters that are married. And they're, the two of them are uh, both um, sorcerers and Pirate Borg, so you have, you know, weird supernatural abilities. We're both kind of aliens, half-alien monsters. And so we thought that the two, so the, the two of us thought it would be interesting to have a couple that's actually married and one of them is completely co committed to a holy book and the other one i won't say who is a satanist and we're, we're completely devoted to each other like oh dear you look wonderful with you know your horrible fangs and the insects that are eating your flesh today um <laughs> and 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 please i i want to i help you and i cast a protection spell on you and we just somehow overlook the fact that one of us is 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 quoting is quoting the holy book all the time, and one of us is saying, "Please protect me, Satan!" all the time. And then for some reason in the relationship, <laughs> it's just, it's just totally overlooked that we've never noticed that somehow. <laughs> and and obviously that's something that I you know we we checked in on. I'm you know you know that I'm not the first person to do like safety tools or things like that. But obviously we checked in, got consent from each other, thought that this was acceptable for us to do, and we're frankly having a really a kind of a riot of a time playing the 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 hideous uh the hideous supernaturally corrupted uh sort married sorcerers the completely opposite completely opposite theologies and we're having a, we're actually kind of having a good time with that that is that is delightful that is delightful i mean i i was waiting for you to come up with the anecdote of uh in our first ever live streamed game my birthday game of dyson's delve of course your character <laughs> And the character played by uh, Colleen, a uh, player of Yeffy in uh, Ten Dead Rats, uh, had a weird courtship because I believe you were playing an elf who could only speak Elvish, and she was playing a dwarf who could only speak Dwarfish. And <laughs> you had to go through at least one other person, I think at least one, you know, to communicate with each other. And I believe you were assuming you were just good, good comrades in arms, and she was assuming that you were trying to court her. And, right. and we just... And I think we just kind of got consent there and everybody was in on like, this is a funny joke. Let's push this. And so we had all kinds of situations such as you meeting her parents. And yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> just, right, delightful. exactly. just delightful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So now, now I recommend, yeah. you know, kudos to Colleen that really made that work. Actually. Uh, I, uh, people should watch that Dyson's delve playthrough because that, that was actually just kind of a magical thing that came out of that that i i remember very very strongly and it you know and honestly my traits my actual traits as a player of like i want the party to be you know bolstered i want the magic items to be distributed so i'm giving i tend to be giving magic items 
to other characters, right? And that happened, and she ran with that. Um, and uh, that that was that was truly a standout. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Brilliant play yeah. on her part. And, and not not the only romance that emerged from that game, I will say. Uh, there were others, so so definitely uh, definitely worth uh, worth a view. Uh, we have very very little time left, so I want to I want to I want to just do a little tiny bit of self promotion and say uh, also if you visit WatchFactoryGames.com, where Fearful Ends is available for sale, you will also find a scenario I wrote called Mirror Mirror, which involves a um, a very very classic uh, fairy tale esque setting of the players being hired to go f rescue the princess who has been abducted by the evil sorcerer. Um, but of course, there is a whole lot more going on under the covers, including a very interesting little uh, love triangle. So uh, if you if you like those kinds of plots, you can find one in Mirror Mirror. Available People for get uh, that. old school games and 5e. Paul did so well with that. Yeah, with both old school and for the edition. It's, it's, it's a really great adventure. I liked it a lot, and people should get that. Dan, any final thoughts on love in D&D? Well, you know, I, I've, I've come around more strongly to the fact that traditional D&D is best when it's not just about the game itself, when it's also about references to cultural things outside the game, references to mythology and, you know, legend and things kind of beyond it. And I, I do really think that as, as we came up with a whole bunch of examples, I like having romantic elements in my games. You should you should know that. I, I am really big on love plots in my games. And I, I, you know, also as DM, I think that romance, again, knowing that, you know, comedy and horror are very close to each other, you bring something like that, and it could be a great comedy element, um, as we've seen in a, a bunch of different media, cartoons and things like that, uh, like Paul was saying. Or it could be a horror element with with vampires or demons or monsters that effectively just take a character out of the game. Like a, 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 a love spell might effectively be a death spell because your character might be permanently removed from the game from that. So I do mm -hmm. actually think that, Paul, that romance is a great way to ramp up the horror elements in your D&D game. And I'm very <laughs> positive about that. <laughs> Viewers, if you have uh, any thoughts on love in D&D, uh, other instances where it is exists in some of the mat early material uh, that we have missed, please let us know. Uh, or if you have anecdotes of how l love and romance appeared in your game um, to the delight of everyone at the table, please leave us a comment in the, in the comment section here of the YouTube video. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe that will inspire uh, content for, uh, or discussion down the road. I'd love to see that. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok, other sites. We have the handle Wandering DMs on all of the sites. So please kiss that like button. <laughs> if you prefer to listen to us in audio-only podcast format, you can get those podcasts on our website, wanderingdms.com. Uh, you can also find them through various third-party carriers. Uh, was recently alerted that season six was missing. That has been rectified, so apologies. Thank you, uh, viewers, for, for uh, notifying us of that. Um, that is rectified. You can now find our show on all kinds of uh, sites, such as Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, uh, Podcast Addict, all those places. If you're listening to this show right now on one of, from one of those sites, and uh, the site gives the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. It helps uh, other users of that uh, podcast carrier find us, and we really appreciate it. 
We really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show here every week. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, you'll get access to our Discord server with the conversations going all the time. And we have our special video after chat every Sunday. We'll be there in about 10 minutes because we want to hear your recollections and your thoughts about romantic elements that have worked well or maybe not so well in your games um and uh that uh we'll 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 enjoy if you can join us we would love we would love to hear that right paul absolutely absolutely please please do and don't come, forget come in the chat yeah. please and don't forget uh coming up this week i'll be back thursday night 9 p.m eastern time for more of dan's old time mini show i uh, cast a first part of a rubber mold the first time i've done that in about 10 years uh and i'm actually casting the first player character miniatures that i've ever done so on Thursday, I'm going to demo that, see if it worked. Not even sure if it worked. Uh, my little Dralocyte miniature is currently sleeping inside there. We'll see if that worked and see if I can get the second part of that mold made on Thursday as we go towards uh, towards our next casting session. So we'll see if that works this Thursday. Oh, open up, screw that up. Excellent. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, of course, don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. We love you.